All right. Hey, good morning. Welcome again to Bethany. My name is Prentice. I'm the lead pastor here, and I am so excited to continue our series uh, on Philippians. Uh, and like I said last week, uh, Philippians is one of my uh, favorite books uh, because it's so encouraging, and I feel like you can read it uh, at any point in your life and be, be encouraged and find hope and joy uh, from what Paul has to say to the church of Philippi. And so, again, we're in week three. We're going to continue uh, 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 this series. And, and I just want to say, I, I, I feel like I, I have to say, I love being back. I, I spent a whole weekend uh, speaking at a, uh, a youth retreat uh, with, for junior high uh, and high school students, predominantly junior high students. Uh, and let me just tell you this. Uh, that, that's scary. Junior high students, uh, I love them to death, they have good intentions, but they are some, some of the scariest people ever. And so speaking here and speaking in front of big not a big deal. It works. It's fine. I, I love it. I enjoy it. But speaking with junior high students, man, they are, they're unforgiving. If you're not funny, they'll let you know. If they're sleepy, they will certainly let you know. Uh, and if they're checked out, they will certainly let you know. Uh, as for adults, you guys seem to do a decent job of, of faking it, and so uh, I appreciate that uh, so, so much. So again, our, our verse today, as we go through Philippians, we're in chapter 2, uh, it's a very famous or well-known passage, or, or more accurately to say, poem uh, that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church uh, of Philippi. And if I have to title this message, uh, I would title it, uh, Having the Same Mind of Christ. Having the Same Mind of Christ. Paul's plea to the church of Philippi is, hey, look, above all else, if you have any consolation, if you have any love, if you have any encouragement, if you have any hope, please do this. Please have the same mind of Christ together. And as a result of having the same mind of Christ equals unity. That was Paul's hope and Paul's purpose of many purposes of writing Philippians. Let me just pray real quick and we'll get to work. God, thank you so much for another incredible morning that we get to freely worship you and to know you and to seek you in the midst of our community. God, we thank you for just a powerful week. We've got to celebrate the man, Martin Luther King Jr., and all the work that he's done to make this world a better place. We thank you. God, there's movements, there's, there's marches, there's uh, so many wonderful things to promote advocacy and, and hope and joy and all the things that are from you. And we thank you that these opportunities have occurred. God, we thank you. And we pray for our leaders of our world, of our country, of our nation. God, that you would continue to work and that your will would be done. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, this week I come ac came across this really interesting article. It was from the Harvard study. And this study is called uh, Harvard Study of Adult Development. Of Adult Development. And this study that Harvard did or is continuing to do has been one of the oldest research studies uh, as it pertains to people uh, in their physical and in their mental health. Uh, the participants that are still alive that started uh, as participants in this research 
uh, are now 90, in their mid-90s. And, and this article says this. Here's, here's what it says. It says, the surprising finding is that our relationships and how happy we are in our relationships has a powerful influence on our health. So again, this Harvard research study is about uh, what makes people tick, what makes people happy, what brings them joy, what brings them health. And he says the surprising finding is that uh, our relationships and how happy we are in our relationships has a powerful influence on our health, says Robert Waldinger, director uh, of the study and psychiatrist uh, at Massachusetts General Hospital oh, and a professor uh, at Harvard Medical School. And he continues by saying this, taking care of your body is important, but tending to your relationships is a form of self-care too. That, I think, is a revelation. And then he says, close relationships, more than money, more than fame, are what keeps people happy throughout their lives, is what this study revealed. The point of this entire study and the outcome is this, essentially, relationships matter. Relationships matter. They matter so much. Get this, relationships matter so much that it can be a litmus test to your own health, is what this 80-year-old study has says. Whether it's physical, mental, or even, I would add, spiritual. In many cases, you can only be as healthy to the degree of the health of your relationships. I'll say that again. In many cases, you can only be as healthy as to the degree of the health of your relationships. And we see this in our own lives, don't we? We can be a witness to this study because relationships matter and have a powerful effect on our very lives. And they can change and they can dictate the very mood that we feel. I mean, I mean imagine your life and the moments that everything is going well. All right, your job is going well, your, uh, your you know, family life is going well, you know, your finances are going well, your future outlook, you're feeling positive, everything in life is going well, but you have one unhealthy or relationship or a conflict uh, or a hardship in a relationship, whether it's a spouse, whether it's a family member or a friend, on one side, everything might be going really well and you have everything to be excited about, but... That one unhealthy relationship that you might have kind of puts a damper on everything. Because there's a litmus test, again, saying that you can be as joyful and healthy and happy to the degree of which that reflects your relationships. And we've seen that the other side is also true. Things can be going horrible in your job. Again, in your career, in your school, in, in whatever, in your clubs, and, or whatever it is, things can be terrible, yet you have significant relationships that bring life to you, that bring joy to you, and all of that all of a sudden becomes uh, nullified by the healthy relationships that you might have. See, relationships matter. And that's exactly what Paul is talking about when he's writing much of Philippians, especially uh, in chapter 2. And what we talked about last week, we talked a little bit about the context of where and which and why Paul was writing uh, Philippians. See, he's writing to the church of Philippi, the church that he planted. And now he's away. He's actually in prison. 
And while he's in prison, he's writing these letters, particularly to the one of the church of Philippi, saying, you know what, in all things, I give glory to God. Even though I'm locked up, even though I'm in chains, even though, you know, I've been arrested for sharing the love of God, I'm excited to be here because, A, I get to share the love of God with, with the guards, with the prison guards here, and people are knowing Jesus because of this opportunity. I also find joy because I know that at the end of the day, it's about my relationship with God that matters rather than my circumstances. And it's in that context he writes to the church of Philippi, who was under Roman occupation, because Philippi was known as a Roman colony. It was occupied by Romans and Roman soldiers, and ultimate leader was Caesar. And Paul is saying, even in the midst of Roman occupation, know that your citizenship is not with Caesar, and it's not with Roman uh, citizenship. It's in the kingdom of God. And in the kingdom of God, things look differently, particularly your relationships. And that's the message even for us today. If you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, our life dramatically just looks different, particularly and the way that we relate with one another. See, the purpose was to show the world. The purpose was to show the world, Paul is saying, that as followers of Jesus, of, of the way is what they called it, we go beyond binaries. Remember, when we talk about Philippi, the Roman, the Roman colony, you really had two options. Either bow to Caesar and, and, and reap all the benefits of being a Roman citizen in a Roman colony or defy Caesar and, and attach yourself to a different, uh, different religion, different worship, different idol, whatever it is. So there was this binary which was either you're for Caesar or you're against Caesar. And what Paul is saying, you know what, there's a third way. There's a third way and that way is of the resurrected Christ. You don't have to pick. You don't have to be consumed into a box of, of, yes, I worship Caesar or I don't worship Caesar. You worship and you become a citizen of the kingdom of God, and that should change your life, especially your relationships. And in this Roman colony, Paul is saying, live differently. Let people see how you relate to others, the compassion, the hospitality, the generosity, the radical forgiveness that Christ calls us to have. That brings a light into a hopeless sense of world that they thought Philippi was. See, it was easy as Christians to be discouraged living in Philippi. That's the whole purpose of, of, of Philippians. And Paul's command, as Paul's imperative to the people, to the Christians, to the church that he planted was, hey, will you stand out? Will you be different? Will you emulate Christ's love, again, of compassion, hospitality, forgiveness? And most importantly, unity. Will you be united with one another? In Philippians, again, the first verses, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, Essentially, if you've been united with Christ, and if that has brought you encouragement and joy, if you have any comfort in his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in the spirit and one mind. 
See, it says, make my joy complete. Will you make my joy complete? Paul says, what would make me joyful is if there's unity. Because you know what happens when there's unity, when there's radical forgiveness, when there's generosity? You become a light and a source of hope in a hopeless world. This Roman colony, when everyone had to bow down to Caesar, what Paul is saying, hey, show people, don't just talk about it, don't just preach it, don't just talk the talk, walk the walk by how you relate to one another. And if you do that, people will see that things are different. So he says, make my joy complete. So what this means is that ultimately his joy was not complete. There was a lack of unity. And we don't know exactly what was happening or what the conflict was, but there seemed to be an argument or discourse uh, between two women, Eudea and Syntyche. Uh, and we see in chapter 4, it says this, I plead with Eudea and I plead with Syntyche that to be, same, to be of the same mind in the Lord. I plead with you to please be in the same mind with the Lord. <clears throat> yes, I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my coworkers whose names are in the book of life. There's disunity going on between these two people. And Paul is saying, if you have any encouragement from Christ, from living in his love, will you be encouraged to bring unity between these two? Will you two please find a way to be in the same mind? And Paul says, and here's how you do it. You want to see an ultimate example of reconciliation, of forgiveness, of humility? He says, uh, be like Jesus. He says, not look into your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider himself equal with God, nor did he use that to his advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by, overcoming, by, by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. <clears throat> Paul's push and challenge uh, between the disunity is this. Will you be humble? Will you be humble with one another within yourself? Will you look beyond yourself and see the big picture of the conflict, whatever that might be, and be like Jesus, what Jesus did? And he says, you know what Jesus did? He was, he's God. Jesus is God. Living in his throne in heaven, and yet Paul says, Jesus came down to earth to be amongst us. And not only to be amongst us, but to die. And it says, even death, death on a cross. I mean, that is the ultimate form of humility, of sacrifice. And what you have to understand about the cross is that aside from the pain and agony that people faced, 
of, of the cross was that it was meant just for criminals. And so when Paul says, Jesus, he humbled himself, was God, came down, died on the cross, even death on a cross, he said that very intentionally because only criminals were put to death on a cross. And, and not only was it about pain and agony, but it was about shame. And this is kind of uh, vulgar to, to think about, but the cross, there were many people, many people were crucified on a cross. It wasn't unique to Jesus in the, in the criminals next to him. It was a very common way of practicing execution by the Romans. And again, it was not only about pain, but it was about shame because most of the crucifixions, uh, when people were crucified on a cross, were in very, very public places. Uh, I mean, honestly, it was equivalent to uh, like a shopping center to this day. It'd be equivalent to a a grocery store or, or the mall. And it was that of a public place where people would be executed really high and it would send a message saying, if you disobeyed Caesar, if you disobeyed Rome, this is what would happen to you. And that is the very nature of, of Jesus' death. That he would come down from heaven to stoop down so low, not only just to live among us, not just to die among us, but to die on the cross, of which was meant for shame, which was meant for criminals. That's the attitude and the mindset that Paul urges, not only specifically Judea and Syntyche, but his church. Because he knows that unity brings light, unity brings hope, unity brings a testimony to the nature of who God is, and disunity does the very opposite does the very opposite. Now, it doesn't mean that conflict won't happen. This isn't, this isn't saying that conflict is always bad and it shouldn't happen. In fact, Paul himself had several conflicts, even to the point where he, he and other fellow missionaries, Barnabas and Peter, had to go separate ways. Conflict, conflict is essential, I would say, to any relationship. But the way you reconcile is a difference maker. But the way you pursue reconciliation matters because that in itself becomes a testimony to what it, be- what it looks like to belong to a different kingdom. Remember, we're talking about Roman occupation, Roman uh, colony, where it's a world of dominance, where disagreements could actually, actually lead to death, here was an opportunity for God's people to be different. See, forgiveness challenged the, the status quo. Humility chain, challenged the status quo. Radical forgiveness, radical humility would be so different from the world that they lived. And that is the third way. That is the way of Jesus. Paul pushed unity. If you have any encouragement, be unified because unity brings light to the nature of God. And the opposite is true. Disunity brings about more issues, more conflict, more hurt, and more pain. 
That's the background we're working with. See, the problem is this. The problem is we like to fight. And in this world, they like to fight. The problem is we always fight to win rather than fight to understand. That's the problem. We fight to win rather than to fight to understand. And in this political climate and in this nation of all the things that are happening, this has become so true and so real ever, more than ever before. That, that we argue that my side, whatever that side is, is right. And your side is wrong. And when I argue with you and have discussions with you, it isn't so that we can come to an agreement or for me to understand or for you to understand. It's for me to win. I mean, that's why we fight. That's why we argue. That's why we have these conflicts. I mean, just, just last week, uh, man, social media has been a very interesting phenomenon, especially in this day and age where all this political climate, you can say whatever you want, and, and people don't want to have face-to-face conversations. They just want to argue on, on you know, social media, on Facebook, and whatever it is. Uh, and a colleague of mine, a pastor at one of the Bethany locations, uh, puts up a status. And, and to me, I thought it was great, like wonderful. You know, he was being an advocate. advocate. I mean, he was speaking truth, a hard truth for people to hear. Uh, and, and people disagreed with that, which is just fine, which is okay. Uh, and so they would post like, you know, pastor, you're wrong, you know, you fell into these lies and blah, 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 and all these things. And I was looking at it, and I, it, it didn't matter about the, the political pr- perspective, you know, everyone's entitled to what they want to believe politically, but I felt like he was attacking my friend. And, and so, of course, I had to come to his defense, uh, and instead of trying to respectfully, in a way, uh, calm the situation or to be encouraging, or I could have just not said anything at all, I had to butt in and put in my two cents. And and I'll tell you what, the two cents that I put in uh, was was blunt, was, was a brick at best, maybe even disrespectful at worst. And all because I wanted to make a statement to say that instead of me wanting to understand and to bring encouragement and to bring hope and to bring whatever it is, I decided to do the opposite of that. I wanted to fight to be heard. I wanted to fight to win. And then the next day, I get a message from a mutual friend of ours who called me out. And rightfully so. This person says, hey, Prentice, uh, you, know, you know, he says something to the sort, we understand that this is a very heated conversation, uh, but the way you went about it was very disrespectful. He says, I love you, and I say this as a brother, the way you said it was disrespectful. And I got really upset at that. Right? We get defensive when we know that the person is correct. And I got defensive, and I, and I said, well, you know what? This person shouldn't have said this, and blah, blah, blah. And finally, I was so convicted. I was so convicted. It was, as I was preparing this sermon, I was thinking about that situation. I was filled with so much pride and, and ego that I, was, that I could not apologize for the things that I've said. 
And so finally, a few days later, like God really rocked my soul, and I was going through this sermon, and it would have been hypocritical, hypocritical if I didn't. I reached out to him, apologized, confessed, repented. But the, the point is this. The point is, oftentimes, we fight to win rather than fight to understand. If we're going to put up a fight at all, if we're going to put up any fight at all, may it be a fight to understand the other person's perspective. May we fight for empathy. May we fight for curiosity. Because at the end of the day, what happens is we just get angry at others for sinning differently than us. I mean, oftentimes, we just get angry at others for sinning differently than ourselves. Because what we understand is this, and I love what Brene Brown says. She says this, it's hard to hate people close up. She says it's hard to hate people close up. Get to know people. Get to know people that are radically even different from your own ideologies and your own thinking and even your own faith and even your own political perspective. Get to know people out of curiosity and discover that though there might be differences, there might also be similarities. That though that this person may not change their mind or you may not change that person's mind, that it's a win because now you have perspective and you understand one another. You know, I was thinking about this week, why does Martin Luther King Jr. Day, why does that matter? Have you asked people? Have you asked people from a different ethnic group, from a different race, from different life experiences? Why does it matter? Why does the movement, why does Black Lives Matter, why does that matter? Have you asked anybody? Does it matter to you? Have you shared that? Why does the hashtag Me Too matter? Because it matters. Have you heard stories? Have you listened? Have you believed? Have you advocated? You know, why do people that want to make America great again, what happened? Have you sought to ask? Or how about a person that's very difficult? Or a person that's overly sarcastic. I had a former coworker at a previous church where, to be honest, it was really challenging. He was really challenging to be around and to love and to be encouraged by. He was always sarcastic. He, he was always negative. And after two years, two years of working with him, he shared his testimony. He shared his story. And the story involved abuse growing up. Uh, of all different kinds. And he confessed to me and, and several others that the reason why he is and, and, and why he behaves the way he behaves, he attributes that to his family system, to his childhood, to his abuse. And suddenly when I heard that, my heart sank. Because now I was up close. I wasn't at a distance where I didn't know where I wasn't able to, where I didn't just judge. I stepped forward. I was up close. And Brene Brown was right when she says it's hard to hate people up close. In fact, it's easier to love. It's easier to love. In that moment, knowing the stories, knowing what he shared and knowing what he went through, my mindset changed for him. See, the problem with a lot of us, myself included, 
is that disunity, whether that's a spouse, a child, a family member, a friend, a coworker, disunity often happens because we fight to win rather than fight to understand. That's the problem. And the solution, Paul says, it's easy. It says, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And that's what it says in Philippians 2, verse 5. And this is where it gets a little unique when it comes to the way that we, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, handle conflict and reconciliation. It's not necessarily uh, this convincing of I'm right and you're wrong. The goal for us as followers of Jesus isn't necessarily to convince people of your perspective, of what you believe, of whatever your reality and whatever your truth is. The difference is we point people to what Christ has in mind to the heart of Christ. It's not, I don't want to convince you to believe what I believe. I want you, I want us to be in the same mind of Christ. What does Jesus have to say about this? And, you know, back in the day, there was this, there was this old bracelet that said, WWJD, right? Remember that? What would Jesus do? And I, I'll tell you what, I used to wear them. You know, I have multiple <laughs> bracelets, in fact, Hey, and, and it's gotten to the point where it became kind of humorous and funny and, 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 and kind of cliche. And that's kind of actually too bad because I love the idea and the concept of the question asking, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus say in this circumstance? How would Jesus behave? Would Jesus forgive? Would Jesus love? Would Jesus repent? You know, what, what would Jesus do? And, and I feel like that notion has been lost because of this movement that, that has made it cliche, but that is a real question. The question is, what isn't what do I believe? I want to convince you of what I believe, what I believe to be right. It's what does Jesus, what does the scripture have to say about it? What is the heart of Christ? What is the nature of God in this? That's what I want to know. That's what I want us to know. And that's what brings unity. And Paul knew that. He says, be one mind. Have the same mind. Not have the same mind with one another. Because that can change. And having the same mind, you guys, two people can agree on something that's quite evil, actually, right? We know this. History has shown that. But have the same mind, not with one another, but to have the same mind in Christ. Have the same mind of Christ. We have to pursue Christ in order to know Christ. And that's what brings unity. When I was in college back in the day, there's this... Christian subculture. Like, believe it or not, there's like a Christian subculture. And when I was in college, the, the, the hype, the Christian subculture of the day were these dating books. Uh, and there was this infamous writer, his name was Joshua Harris, uh, <clears throat> and he wrote books called, like, I Kiss Dating Goodbye. Uh, and he wrote another book called, like, um, I'm pretending not to know it even though I know it, uh, uh, boy meets girl or something like that. And it's about how to date as Christians. Uh, and it was the latest hype. It was a craze. And in all these books, uh, he would say this. He would say, uh, you have to, a, a 
you know, a couple, you know, two people, instead of pursuing each other, they would have to pursue God, which brings them closer together. And I can't believe I'm using this as a sermon illustration because I'd always laugh and how cheesy and how corny that is. But the imagery is very similar to unity with one another. And this writer, he would say, imagine a triangle and there's two people on both sides. And instead of coming this way closer to one another, it's having the same mind of Christ climbing that triangle where they meet together. And as cliche and as cheesy as that illustration was, even when I was reading it, there's a reality to that. There's a reality to us pursuing Christ in the mind of Christ. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus say? What would, how would Jesus act that brings us closer to one another? Have the same mind as Christ. Have the same mind. That's what brings unity. It goes beyond and it transcends this idea of compromise and tolerance. It's finding Christ in the midst of disunity. And at the heart of that is humility. In true humility, one pastor author says this, true humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. When we think of humility, when we think of Jesus' calling uh, to reconciliation, we think that Jesus is calling us to be a doormat. That's not true. In fact, that couldn't be true because that's not what Jesus did. You know, and there's this, you know, passage where Jesus says, well, if someone strikes you on one cheek, turn the other cheek. Uh, I don't have time to go into that exegesis right now, but you have to know that that's very subversive and very aggressive. Jesus says, stand up for truth. In fact, if you don't, that's an integrity issue. See, back then when the Roman soldier, when they would... smack or slap somebody, especially uh, to them, the second-class citizens, the Jews, you would have to walk away because you just got slapped. You just got told that you are not worthy, and you'd have to walk away. And Jesus says, when you get smacked, when you get slapped, turn the other cheek. What you're essentially saying is, I'm equal as you, and you step up, and he would say, well, say, strike me again. That's, that, that's subversive. That's not being a doormat, and that is not what Jesus is saying when it comes to reconciliation. That's not what Paul is saying when he says to be unified. He just says, when there's disunity in your life, I mean, you could probably think of people right now. I mean, if you have perfect relationships, more power to you. That's incredible. But if you're like myself or like the rest, many people of of humanity, we don't have perfect relationships. We just don't. And oftentimes the reason why these aren't perfect is because both parties, including yourself, myself, whatever it is, we fight to win rather than to understand. And the best way to understand is through the lens of Christ. That always includes humility. Is there somebody in your life that you need to reconcile with? Are there imperfect relationships in your life? The answer to to that for most of us is the answer is yes. And the danger of that, even as the Harvard study shows, 
is that unhealthy relationships brings unhealth to our own lives. And not just physically, it actually says physically, but mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. Because you can only be as healthy as your healthiest relationship. And if that's true, we have to address the unhealthy relationships in our lives. And that requires humility to be like Jesus. And if Jesus can step down from his heavenly throne to become one of us in humanity and die a criminal's death of shame and dishonor, that is the heart that we should emulate. That is the heart that we should emulate. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up as we respond in a time of worship. And I just want to ask you this question. Is there somebody that you need to reconcile with? The key to that is having the same mind, having the mind of Christ. And it always includes humility. I want to end with this quote. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity says this. Do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man or humble person, I'd say, that this person will be what most people would call humble nowadays. This person will, of course, not be a sort of greasy, uh, smarmy person who is always telling you that, of course, he is a nobody. Probably all you will think of him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. And if you dislike him, it will not be because you feel a little, it will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. Paul's plea to the church of Philippi was to be different. Was to be different. In a world of dominance and power and abuse and allegiance to, to an earthly king, Paul says, live your life differently as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And, and what that includes is unity. Because unity tells the whole world, tells all the society and all the cultures and all the religions that this looks different. Will you be of the same mindset? Wherever your context is, whether it's at home, will you be an example of what it looks like to be unified, to have the same mind in Christ? Will you be an example to your spouse, to your children? Will you be an example that the kingdom looks differently at your workplace, at your schools, at your meetings, at your clubs or whatever you're a part of, your sports teams? Will your life look different? Because you pursue unity by having the mind of Christ. And that mind of Christ always, 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 always includes humility. The ultimate example of humility, Jesus. Who is God? came down 
gave that up to die on the cross, a shameful cross. And then I love that after that it says, therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. May people see you your life, your unity, your humility, and may they confess that in you that Jesus Christ is Lord. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for your forgiveness, your work, your life, your death on the cross. For us, may that be an ultimate example of how we pursue our relationships that you loved us so much, you humbled yourself to take on the very nature of a servant. God, may we humble ourselves to hear, to listen, to be curious, to discover the ideas and and the voices around us, not for them to change our minds, not for us to change their minds, but for us to understand and to be reconciled and to be unified, especially amongst believers in a world of so much tension and disunity and division, may we be an example of humility and unity for the world to see and declare that in and through us, Jesus Christ is Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's continue in worship.